What's up, guys? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. I'm Justin Michael. I'm your host. and I've got an awesome guest on today's podcast, Sean Paul of MakingTheMadness.com. No, not the Sean Paul, the rapper. Sean Paul, the college basketball aficionado. Really great dude. One of the genuinely one of the best college basketball writers in the country. This guy is going to be everywhere in a decade. And I'm really appreciative that he's given me the time a couple of different times to come on the Rams pod, to chop it up with me, to talk CSU. And in particular, today we talked about his ranking of the top 100 mid-major college basketball players in the country. David Roddy came in at number five, Isaiah Stevens at number 11, picked his brain on what went into it. We talked about some of the best players in the country, teams in the Mountain West, all of it. Genuinely had a blast talking hoops with him. Before I get into that, obviously it's stressful trying to buy a house right now. If you've attempted this process, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The housing market in Colorado, it's crazy. Let Mike and Virginia Chevalier take the burden off this extremely difficult process. They're going to alleviate so much stress and take that worry off of your plate. Chevalier Mortgage's ultimate goal is to take the stress out of buying and refinancing. They strive to give their borrowers options with their full financial picture in mind, with the highest level of integrity always putting their borrowers first. Mike and Virginia are proud DNBR members, they're CSU alums, they work nights, they work weekends, they do what it takes to make sure that their clients are getting the best loan for their situation. Right now, they've got a fun perk for DNBR listeners. Visit them at dnbrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNBR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, you're going to get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options at dnbrmortgage.com. You can always give Mike a call directly at 970-412-2472. Or again, visit dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage, we've got a fun guest today, Sean Paul of makingthemadness.com one of the best up-and-coming basketball writers in the country. He's got the Jeff Goodman brand of a stamp of approval now. Man, what's that? Uh, what's the glow-up been like over the last six months? Man, I appreciate the uh, kind endorsement there. Very much appreciated. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just cool to see all the, all the recognition for, you know, my hard work that I've put in, you know, we're, I'm still going to work as hard as ever. And, you know, uh, obviously the ultimate goal is to be one of the top college basketball writers, journalists, whatever you want to call it in the country. So until I'm there and even when I'm there, I'm going to keep, keep working because college basketball writing is, you know, my passion. So that's what I want to do for the rest, for the rest of my career, for sure. I love it, man. And I'm not just, you know, I'm not just trying to butter you up because you're on the podcast genuinely a big fan of your work and I think it's cool to see the college basketball community as a whole you know kind of recognize your talent that's that's one of the great things about college basketball I've noticed is you know a lot of the fans that are that are really into it they they tend to find you know some of the best guys you don't necessarily have to be at ESPN if you you know produce good quality work people will find you and you know that's clearly been the case with you and and everybody giving you the recognition which is awesome to see but, uh, you know, the reason I brought you on, obviously, is, is to talk about your list. You did a, a massive mm-hmm. rankings, top 100 players in the, you know, <laughs> non-power six, you know, G5, however you want to phrase it. God, man, how long did mm-hmm. that take you to put that together? 
so last last year I did it for last year's my first uh, time really writing, and I did it in like June. So I feel like I did it way too early last year, and it took me way longer last year. But this year I was a lot more familiar with the rosters and all that, so it was a lot easier this year. I would say over a span, I would say probably. So I posted it last week. I would say probably five weeks ago I started. I started with like a list of like two hundred plus guys and just started chipping away from there. And then slowly, I would say the writing portion of it probably took about you know fifteen to you know. 20 hours maybe just to get all the right words I wanted in there and editing it and all that. So it definitely took some time, but it took me way longer last year. That's fair. I mean, I guess once you have like the groundwork laid, you know, it can kind of come easier from there, but I'm just kind of curious how much, you know, did you agonize over, you know, the little rankings and stuff? Cause that's one of the oh, things yeah. that I really struggle with whenever I do any type of, you know, top 10, this or top 25, that like, it's like trying to figure out just the little nuance of, you know, oh, I don't know, this guy's really good and this guy's also really good. So, you know, who mm-hmm. do I side is slightly better and why? Like, did you lean more on, you know, the eye test? Did you lean more on numbers in those instances? Just kind of what was that process like for you? Yeah, I always like leaning on the eye test. Uh, that's probably what I mostly do. And part of that is just, you know, I've watched a lot of all these guys during the season, but even on some guys, uh, I went back and watched some more tape and just wanted to, you know, re get it get in my mind again because I there hasn't been college basketball since April, I guess technically, and then March. But for the most part, a lot of these guys haven't played since like early March. So like I haven't watched these guys in quite a while. So just getting refamiliarized is something I wanted to do for sure, and I'm gonna do that more as we get closer to the season. But I had a good idea in my head of what all these guys were because I've watched them all a good amount. But the biggest thing for me was how should I consider a guy on a winning team compared to a guy who's an average like 17 or 18 on a losing team? And I sided with the guys on a winning team because at the end of the day, if you're going to be on an all-conference list or if you're going to be on an all-NBA team, they're not going to put some guy on one of the worst teams in the country, uh, you know, on the top 40 of the list or whatever you want to say, uh, I mean, like Luca, a good example is Luca Garza a few years ago. He had better stats than Obi Toppin across the board, but Obi Toppin was on the significantly better team, so he won National Player of the Year. So that's kind of how I looked at it with some of these guys, like Rayshon Harrison from Presbyterian. I think he's one of the best scorers in the country, but his team sucks. So I had him like 90th. And, you know, he's probably going to be a lot better than that, like individually, but the team's not very good. So that was kind of a tough one, but that's kind of how I leaned on things a bit. I like that though, because ultimately, you know, what is the, the greatest, you know, indicator of success It's winning basketball games. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a a good guy to kind of talk about that is, you know, Bryce Hamilton. I think you had him around like 40 ish or 50, you know, he's, he's a really gifted scorer. He's a lot, he's a lot of fun to watch, but those UNLV teams haven't won a whole lot of games since he's been in town. Yeah. Part of it with Hamilton is, you know, he's not the best defender, but he's got the tools to be a good defender. I think a lot of that's effort. If he shows effort all the time, I think he could be a very good defender. But part of it also is he is extremely inefficient. Like like you said, he's fun to watch. When he gets going, like, he, there's nobody stopping him. Like, you can put multiple guys on him. He's going to score the ball. But when he's not going, he is tough to watch. So I'm just – that's another thing. Like, how much does his high-volume scoring contribute to winning? 
That's another thing I had to look at a lot. Like him, Teddy Allen, who's now in New Mexico State. He had 41 in a game against Penn State when he was at Nebraska last year. But Nebraska was terrible, and no teams where Teddy Allen's been like the main guy have won consistently. And it's tough when you're that high volume of a score to be able to have a winning team around you. And I think you really have to be efficient if you're going to be shooting the ball that often. So I think with a guy like Bryce Hamilton, I think UNLV is going to be much improved from, from what they have been in recent seasons. But Hamilton's really going to have to be more efficient or take a step back on the offensive end a little bit and be less of a shot hunter if UNLV is going to be any good. I like it. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens out there with Kruger. I think that was a, a pretty good hire. I mean, I think one of the things we talked about when you came on a, a couple months back is – that program just kind of needs a little bit of stability. And, you know, I think Kruger has the potential to bring that to him, but obviously, you know, I kind of want to talk about David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens. CSU fans were stoked that you had, you know, both of those guys in the top 15 with David Roddy at number five, Isaiah Stevens at number 11. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me, you know, Colorado state, the only other team that had multiple guys in your top 20 was Gonzaga who had three you know, I mean, what does that say about the Rams and kind of the state of this program? I mean, I think they're in a great spot. I remember I've said this numerous times on different podcasts, but I remember this one specifically because you are a Colorado State guy and, you know, you do a tremendous job covering Colorado State and all that. It's, you know, yeah, of course, David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens, like they could have transferred anywhere they wanted to. They didn't. They decided to stay at Colorado State, and I think that speaks to the culture Nico Medved has there. He has a really good staff around him, and I think that they're going to continue to win a lot of games, and that's the big reason why I had them so high. I think Roddy's a great player. He can defend. He's you know he's not he's not tall, but he's super strong. He has a big body. Can shoot the ball. I think he's a much better shooter than his numbers indicated last year. He can drive. He rebounds. Yeah, he, he really does it all. So that's why I had him fifth. And Isaiah Stevens, he's just a tough guy to defend. He's super quick. He can really shoot the ball. He's a good playmaker. He's a good on-ball defender. I think he brings a lot to the table. And I think having him eleventh was a little underrated. I think I had him like eighth to start, and I moved him down a little bit just because other guys. I put ahead of him, but I think 11th, you know, might be like, I didn't love that ranking. I think he could have been top 10. That's good to hear. I mean, CSU fans, they, they obviously love Isaiah Stevens. And I think, I mean, that's kind of, it's always going to be the case when you've got multiple guys that are kind of the face of the program. I think Stevens at times can get a little bit outshined by David Roddy's spotlight, just given, you know, he's like the fan favorite. He was the guy everybody was stoked about when they were coming in, but I mean, it's been Isaiah Stevens that's been, you know, their consistent guy. Roddy, you know, he really struggled defensively his freshman year. He, he got significantly better as it went on, and he made massive strides last year. But Stevens has just been that guy from day one. It's been clear that, like, he belongs and that he kind of just sees the game in a, in a different way. And I'm really looking forward to those CSU-Nevada games that, this year. And obviously, I'm sure you are, too, with you having Grant Sherfield Jr. ranked number four. I mean, that could be a showdown between two of the better young guards in the entire country. Yeah, Grant Sherfield. I mean, he's just incredible. I mean, like you saw last year, I mean, if he doesn't make that shot against Colorado State, they're probably in the NCAA tournament. He just has that uh, X factor. He has that killer instinct, whatever you want to say. Late in games, he's that guy that wants the ball in his hands. And you know if you're the opposing team, he's going to shoot the ball. And you know he might get a bucket. I mean, he has that Mamba mentality. He has it all. I mean, Grant Sherfield's just a different kind of player. We we got into it a little bit 
the last time you were on the podcast and you kind of talked about Nevada, you know, being the front runner in the conference going in, at least in your opinion. And I've seen you kind of reaffirm that a couple of times online, but just as you've dove like more into these teams, you know, how close are CSU and Nevada in your book? And, you know, what do you like about Nevada? What do you dislike about them? And then, you know, same for CSU. I've actually changed my tune a little bit. I've Colorado State ahead now. So Ooh, I like to yeah, hear it. Yeah. And the main reason is because I like the potential for a small ball lineup. If you're playing Roddy at the five, you can play Thistlewood or Moores, I guess, at the four. You can go Jacobs at the three. You can go uh, Kendall Moore and Isaiah Stevens rounding out the other two guard spots. Obviously, it's a really small lineup, but I think no team in the Mountain West will be able to contain that amount of scoring ability. And I don't think they'll play that for the entire game, but I think there's going to be segments of games where they play that kind of lineup. And obviously their two biggest questions are their guys down low with Thomas and Moores. So I like the idea of them going with that small ball lineup a lot. So if they play, if they play that for, you know, half the game, I think that they're the best team in the conference. If they, you know, barely go to it, I would probably put Nevada ahead. What I like about Nevada is really their depth. They have a lot of guys. They have Keenan Blackshear coming in from FAU, who's a really underrated transfer. AJ Brama. They have Will Baker coming in from Texas. Warren Washington's back. And at the guard spots, you have guys like Desmond Cambridge, which obviously, and a thing I don't like about them is how inefficient Desmond Cambridge can be. Very similar to Bryce Hamilton in a lot of ways, but if Cambridge gets it going, he could be a really good player. But Sherfield, really good player, of course. And then you have a few solid freshmen coming in. K.J. Himes could be in for a breakout season. I feel like everybody said that forever, but I think this could be the year where Himes actually gets, uh, you know, improves a good amount. Trey Coleman's a good player. So I love the depth Nevada has. That's the biggest thing I like about them. And I think that's going to be why they end up winning a lot of games because deep into the year, I think the two biggest things is elite guard play and depth. And Nevada has both those things. I want to come back to the the small ball stuff with CSU here in a second. Cause I, I really like this. You brought it up and I think that's going to be one of their greatest strengths. It's just going to be the mismatch and the different combinations of guys that CSU is going to be able to throw at people. But I want to get your thoughts on, on Steve Alford, you know, are, are you an Alford guy? I think, he, I was a little bit surprised by that hire and I don't know why, I guess I was just, you know, in my mind, you know, at the, at, the, at that point, Alfred just wasn't that sexy given, you know, what had kind of happened at the end of his time out at UCLA, but I don't know, man, it, it seems like he's got that thing rolling. They've, they brought in a ton of talent and obviously he has, you know, a winning history and more, you know, NCAA tournament appearances than anybody else in the league. So I guess I should probably put a little bit more respect on his name. Yeah, I think Alfred's a really good coach at this level. I don't think he's a great... I think UCLA is just a tough place to win, though. Like, even though you have a bunch of resources, like, you also have to deal with a lot... You have to get the right guys in because sometimes, you know, personalities can be an issue. And I think, you know, Alonzo Ball was an issue in that regard, but, it, you know, LeVar Ball... He, he, he liked talking a lot. So, like, that kind of, I feel like, clouded a lot of what Steve Alford was able to do because I don't know how much actually, like, LeVar Ball had influence, but, you know, I'm sure he had some influence because he was always talking and bringing a lot of 
different times of attention to the program. So I think overall, just him being able to be out of the spotlight, I think has been a really good thing for him. And he's been able to build this Nevada team from what muscle muscleman had it to, you know, they were really good. And then last year they had very low expectations. They were six, seventh in the preseason for the mountain West. And they were able mm-hmm. to, you know, burst the bubble hopes of Boise state and Colorado state. So they were a thorn in a lot of team sides last year. They're definitely a team on the rise. I mean, they, they caught me a little bit off guard and it, they were, you know, I, they were one of the teams I enjoyed watching most last season, but I kind of like what you said there about UCLA and it being a tough place to win. Cause I kind of, it feels a lot like Nebraska football in a sense where it's a place that has a proud winning tradition. And obviously as you know, one national championships been at the, at the peak at one point, but it's been a long time since they've been that. And I think the expectations don't quite, you know, meet up with what, where the state of those programs actually are. You know what I mean? It's a situation where they're, you know, the fans still want them to be top dog. And the reality is that it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not walking through that door and suiting up. So like, obviously things are a lot different. Like that's why you have to respect programs like Duke. Obviously they didn't make the tournament last year, but respect programs like Duke and Michigan state and North Carolina and now Gonzaga, because they've been able to have a winning culture that are, or that are national championship contenders almost every season for a long time. I mean, Gonzaga less so than the other schools, but those three for like the last like 50 years, they've been real contenders almost every season. So like, that's why you have to respect schools like that, even like them or not, you have to respect them. We will get back to the interview in just a second, but first DraftKings Sportsbook, not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold. DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer for just my listeners. Listen to this great offer. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 101 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 101 odds on something like this, it doesn't come around often. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now Get in on all of this action. Do not miss out. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook because it's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to make it rain. My friends, my family, everyone has been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up for your shot to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. If America wins any medal, that's the code DNVR to turn $1 into $100. When you sign up for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I also want to shout out the homies over at Solace Meds. That's right, we have partnered with the premier dispensary for you guys to get some smoke and hot deals with. Solace Meds has four convenient Colorado locations, one in Fort Collins, one in Wheat Ridge, one off of Broadway and one just blocks away on East Colfax from the DNVR bar. Solace has some banging deals the entire month of August. Here's a few to look forward to. Dixie Elixirs are two for $30. That's Eric Weedham's favorite. Genuinely a DNVR top choice. I mean, RK, Weedham, Lindsay, they all love the Dixie Elixirs. 20% off Spectra products, 25% off Ripple. Silver Shelf Flowers, 15% off. Connoisseur shelf concentrates are 15% off. The deals are endless. Now, if you're still on the fence, and I don't know how you could be, 
this is gonna put you over. DNVR20, the code is gonna save you 20% off your entire order. But on top of that, if you go to any location of Solace Meds with code DNVR20, you're gonna get a free Solace Bar or King Cone with your purchase. That's 20% off everything and a free Solace Bar or King Cone when you use that code DNVR20 at checkout. Solace Meds makes your cannabis shopping experience a delight. You can head to their website, view their menu, order online, pick up at your convenience. Just head to solacemeds.com, purchase from there, use that code DNVR20. If you're in FOCO, if you're in Wheat Ridge, if you're in Denver, Solace Meds is the dispensary for you. Gonzaga, I so desperately wanted them to win, to break through and win the national championship just because I'm so tired of, you know, the anti-crowd that comes in and they're like, oh, they always choke in the big games. And it's like, do you know how good you have to be to consistently be making the Sweet 16 and the Lead 8 and the Final Four and multiple championship appearances like they have in the last decade? Yeah, people do whatever it takes to discredit mid-major teams like Gonzaga. And Gonzaga is a mid-major team. I mean, I know they have a way higher budget than anyone else in the WCC, but they're still in the WCC. So, like, they're a mid-major team. I mean, that's something I've went back and forth on a lot, but they are. I mean, that's what they are. And, you know, some Gonzaga fans take that as disrespect. I think you should see that as a compliment because how many mid-major teams have been able to create the level of success Gonzaga has for this long? None. The answer is none. I mean, I mean, UNLV in the late 80s and 90s, but look at where UNLV has been the past, like, 15 years. They haven't been there. That's another program where it's tough to win at. Like we mentioned UCLA and uh, Nebraska football a moment ago. UNLV fans have these wildly high expectations all the time, and they just never live up to them because, you know, Larry Johnson and Greg Anthony aren't coming through that door. I mean, they're not going to be able to win a national championship every single season like they you know were in contention for in the 80s and 90s so like you have to adjust expectations you UNLV is not some premier program in college basketball at this point you know I I do think UNLV just given their resources and all their ties to you know like the NBA summer league and just you know the ability to recruit to Vegas in general Thomas Mack is an awesome college basketball arena like I, I feel like it could be a place that had success again but that's spot on man it's been you know, 25 years since they've been legitimately, a, you know, a top 25 team consistently. And it's disappointing. I mean, programs like UNLV in New Mexico obviously used to be the face of the conference. And I think it would be beneficial to get both of those brands back just because they were programs that had fan bases that would, would pack the house. But kind of going back to Gonzaga just real quick, the thing that I like about them is just, I feel like they give college basketball fans hope. I mean, if you're if you're a fan of any team, if you're a fan of Nevada, of Colorado State, Boise State, and you're looking at a program like Gonzaga, and obviously they're an outlier, but it, you know, you know, you can think, you know, maybe that could be us someday. You know, maybe we could be competing for national championships. And you know, as somebody that also works in college football, that's just not the case. You know what I mean? Like, there's CSU could go 12 and 0 this fall. They're still not getting in the college football playoff. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's it's hard to do. I mean, that's why when you're a fan of a mid-major team, just making the tournament is such a big accomplishment. I mean, obviously the Mountain West is one of the better mid-major conferences. 
So if you're talking about like a Horizon League school, if a Horizon League school is able to, obviously one's going to get into the tournament, it's only going to be one. But if they win a game, all the resources you get back, all the uh, win money, win shares you get from winning a tournament game, you get. that's why some of these schools, like in the NEC, if you're a 16 seed, you'd almost rather be in a playing game because you get an NCAA tournament win share if you win a game because you technically want a game in the NCAA tournament. So that's why it's almost more beneficial for those kinds of schools to be in the 16 seed playing game rather than being a 16 seed getting blown out by Baylor. I mean, that's just why that's almost more beneficial. And, I mean, you get a chance to, you know, get some positive momentum, pull a Syracuse. You know, it always feels like whenever they're yeah. in a play-in game, they're, they're bound to win four or five in a row. And then, you know, they always get bounced late, but they always go on a run, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at what they did against uh, San Diego State last year. That was a they, – they just had no – it seemed like they didn't prepare against a zone ever. I mean, that was crazy. I know, man. That was that was hard to watch. I'll admit, I – I tend to pick with my heart a little too frequently come NCAA tournament time. And I just never seem to learn my lesson with San Diego state every year. I'm like, they're going to the sweet 16 and every year they get bounced in the first round. And I just, I keep making the same mistake over and over again. Yeah. I had San Diego state beating Syracuse. I figured that like they'd at least practiced against a zone or something, but you could have told me that they've never faced a zone before. And I would have believed you because that was, Insane. I mean, that just goes to show, though, with schools that run zones like that, and obviously not many run it 100% of the time like Syracuse does. Probably none do. Uh, I mean, Washington does. They did a little less last year. But Syrac- that shows why, like, obviously in ACC play, all those schools are used to seeing it because Syracuse runs it all the time. But when you're in the Mountain West, you're not seeing the Syracuse zone very often. So, like, that, that's why I think Syracuse can struggle in conference play at times and really heat up in the NCAA tournament. So this might be kind of hard to answer on the spot. And, you know, I didn't think about it before, so that's on me. But, you know, just kind of thinking about the zone and off of that, the the problems they can give people just given there's not a lot of teams to throw it at you. You know, do you think a team like Colorado State, for instance, it could be beneficial for them to maybe work in a little zone just given, you know, they don't have the most size in the world. You know, we, we I'm I'm really intrigued by James Moores. I think he has the opportunity to be a, a pretty solid big and, He's got a lot of eligibility left, which is encouraging. And then same with Deshaun Thomas, like he's had his moments, but I mean, I, I don't know. I think if you went with that small ball lineup and maybe threw some zone every now and then it, it, it could throw some teams off and create some opportunities in transition, you know, where the Rams are just kind of able to take advantage of their athleticism. Oh yeah. I, I love that idea. And I think, for any team over small spurts in a game, just showing different looks on the defensive end will always catch a team off guard. Cause if you randomly go to a zone after never really playing zone, you know, you could force them to take a timeout if it's in a certain situation or maybe, you know, have them be confused. You enforce a turnover, which, you know, happens a lot in Syracuse's zone. So you could have that kind of situation and get a run in transition. I think just showing different looks on the defensive end and even on the offensive end is always important because you want to catch a team. You want to have a team, your opposition, you always want to have them paying attention. And if they're not paying attention, you throw a zone out there, you could get, you could steal a few possessions for sure. The thing I like about this Rams roster, especially with, you know, the potential of being successful with the zone is just, you know, it's a lot of your success is predicated on communication and familiarity, you know, being in the right spot, being able to kind of balance off guys, knowing where they're going to be, you know, knowing, you know, when to help, when not to. I mean, that's the, that's the big strength for this Rams team going in is just 
the continuity of the roster. PJ Bird, the only player they lost, they bring in Chandler Jacobs, really, you know, coveted D2 transfer from uh, Dallas Baptist. And I don't know. I just, I think it could be kind of interesting for them. I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, how much of that they throw in this upcoming season. Yeah, I like Jacobs a lot. Really good defender. Could be one of the best defenders in the conference. Can really shoot the ball. And for Colorado State fans, yes, I know who Chandler Jacobs is. I didn't have him <laughs> on my list. But I swear, I had at least five people tell me, do you not know who that is? I do know who that is. I, you know, I'm not going to say I've watched like a ton of Chandler Jacobs tape. I've seen a good amount of what's uh, you know, available to me. But, I mean, you know, I considered him. But, like, he, I just, you know, it's tough to project a D2 guy like that. It's, it's always tough. So, like, I think he'll be very good. And I don't hate Chandler Jacobs or anything Colorado State fans. I think he's going to be a very good player. So, just <laughs> want to get that out there. Hey, man, it's, you can't include everyone. You know, I, I was going to bring it up. I was going to ask you kind of what your thought is. So, you already answered that for me. But another guy I was a little surprised, you know, didn't make your list was John Tanjay. I thought, you know, maybe he could crack the list at the end. But, I mean, there were even in the 90s, you know, like you said, you had some guys that were, you know, leading leading scorers in their conference and stuff. So I I understand that you can't include everyone. Yeah, I think Tanjay brings a lot of different things to the table. He can defend. I'd like to see his three point. And I think he's a lot better shooter than the 31 percent he shot last year. But I'd like to see that be closer to like 37. So if he takes that jump, then he'll for sure maybe be considered. But again, like he's going to be a key contributor to a winning team, but is he going to average double figures? Like, I don't know, maybe, but it won't be more than like 10 probably. And that's the issue St. Bonaventure fans had with my list too. They're like, how's the entire starting lineup not in here? And I'm like, well, because it's tough to include an entire starting lineup that when like three of the guys are going to average 11 points per game. Yeah. Like, well, I can't like, it's tough to leave a guy who's averaging like 20 points per game in the big South uh, compared to a guy that's averaging, averaging 11 and is the fourth best player for St. Bonaventure. Like, I'm not, like, I think those are two of the best mid-major teams in the country, but I can't just include their entire starting lineups because they're really good. I think that makes sense, man. And, you know, I mean, Tanjay would tell you himself he has to be more consistent from the three-point line. And I think that's going to be a big factor for CSU this year is, you know, can they be a little bit more consistent from three they, they were just so streaky last year. Like when you look at their numbers as a whole, they were fine. But just, you know, as somebody that had to watch every game, there would just be these stretches where, man, they'd miss like 12, 13 threes in a row and it would just kill them. And mm-hmm. I don't know, they got to be more consistent. They need Thistlewood to be more consistent. They need Tanjay to be more consistent from three. And I do think adding Chandler Jacobs could help a little bit just because I think he can come in and, you know, run the point at times and maybe create some opportunities to get Isaiah Stevens some some open looks and some opportunities to shoot some balls and rhythm. One of the things that surprised me about Isaiah last year, man, he I didn't actually realize he was as good of a three-point shooter as he was. And most of the time it was him creating his own shot, which is very impressive. And, and you know, I, I'll be curious to see like kind of what NBA scouts think of him. He's a skilled playmaker for sure. I think his NBA prospects are a little bit complicated because of his size like it's always gonna be tough for a guy his size to make in the NBA and that's just what it is he's gonna be a really good player in college for even the next three years if he wants to and at least the next two probably I doubt he's gonna leave early for the NBA so I mean maybe he stays for the uh, extra year of eligibility you never know and but for a guy like like 
I always now at least I'll look at a guy like Max Asmus. Like he became a huge national name. He averaged twenty four points per game on really good efficiency at Oral Roberts, given that's a way smaller conference than what the Mountain West is, but he dominated in the NCAA tournament. And there's a very good chance had he stayed in the draft, he wouldn't have gotten drafted just because of his size. So like it's gonna be tough for guys that size to be drafted. It's just always gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard for him and Roddy and I, and I do like Roddy's NBA chances better, but they're just, they're both kind of tweeners, you know, like Isaiah, he's, he doesn't have the the prototypical size of an NBA guard. Roddy, you know, he's six, five. So, I mean, there are obviously six, five guys in the league, but he's not like consistent enough as a jump shooter. You know, he's not a guy that's going to like run the point for you. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he'd be like a stretch three type deal. It's, it's going to be weird. He's going to be a guy I think that's going to have to, develop a a more consistent jump shot over the next couple of years. Oh yeah, for sure. He's that kind of guy that like doesn't really have a position at the next level. And that's an issue that we've kind of seen with a guy like Terry Taylor at Austin P is the best player in that program history. And he averaged like a double double every single night, but he doesn't really have a position. He's not a great three point shooter. uh, And you know, he mainly played the four and the five for Austin P and NBA teams wanted to see him at the three, but he's just not a good enough athlete, nor is he a good enough shooter to really play there at the NBA level. And kind of like Matt Mitchell, that's kind of the same deal with him. He signed to play overseas already. And I guess he was going to play summer league with the Spurs. I don't know if he still is. I know he signed overseas somewhere yesterday though. I think in France. So he's another guy, obviously Mountain West fans are familiar with, but he's another guy that just really didn't have a position at the next level. And he's kind of similar size-wise to Roddy. He's an he's a inch taller, but about the same weight. And he dominated inside using his strength. At the next level, all guys are that strong. So mm-hmm. like he's not going to be able to dominate Mountain West defenders or NBA defenders the way he did Mountain West defenders. Things change for sure. That's kind of what I want. That's kind of what I wonder with Roddy as well. You know, obviously like a lot of his success is it just kind of stems from him playing bully ball and being, you know, bigger, stronger, tougher than everybody around him. And, you know, like you said, everybody in the, everybody in the NBA is that big, but I don't know. He's a, he's a special talent. I'm, I'm really excited to see this CSU team this year. I'm, I'm trying to kind of temper my expectations a little bit and, I'll be honest, you guys like you, you know, saying the Rams are going to be good. It, do, it doesn't help the cause because it just only reaffirms my my excitement that much more. Yeah, I mean, Colorado State has a relatively good non-conference schedule, right? They play Alabama. Who else do they have? They're going to they'll play St. Mary's at home. They're going to play Mississippi oh State. That game neutral. last year was the worst game I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie. That <laughs> no. was the worst basketball game I've ever seen. That was it was absolutely brutal, man. That was one of those where I was trying to talk at all the fans off the ledge, you know, like, you know, everybody, the sky is falling. And I kept trying to, it was right after a COVID pause and they yeah, had, yeah. they basically only practiced like twice in a couple of weeks. And St. Mary's is a tough place to play, but even so that was, it, it was hard to defend, but they won 11 straight after it. So I guess mm-hmm. I was right in the end, but my God, no, so- but. That's what St. Mary's does. Like, they are the boringest, and I will die on that hill. They are the boringest team to watch in the country almost every year. And they're going to win. Like, they're even more boring than Virginia, but they're going to win games extremely ugly. And you're going to look at it and be like, man, they scored 51 points and they won. But that's just what they do. They slow the game down, and if you let them play their pace, they're going to beat you. And that's what happened in that one. How good do you expect St. Mary's to be? You know, I, I know it's kind of hard. There's so many teams, but. 
Are uh, they a team you expect to contend at all in the, in the WCC? I think they're a top four, top five at worst in the WCC. The top five in the WCC in some order, obviously Gonzaga's one. Then I go BYU two. I think those are pretty safe. And then you look at like Loyola Marymount. I, I'm really high on them. San Francisco. And then I have uh, St. Mary's somewhere in that mix from three to five. But they're going to defend. They're going to play. They're going to play really slow, and they're going to try to win at their pace. Tommy Cousy's a really good guard. You have Matthias Toss. He's a good big man inside. But guys like uh, Limit Bockler and Jade Mullins and Judah Brown, all guys that are sophomores, if they can all develop and be really good good contributors this year, that's where I think St. Mary's wins. Last year, they really struggled to shoot the ball from deep, and their two best shooters, Bockler, who was a freshman, and uh, Alex Dukas, both got hurt and missed a lot of the season. So their only their two their only two good shooters were hurt. So that's part of why they were really bad shooting wise last year. If they're a better shooting team this year, I think they could be a contender to make an NCAA tournament for sure. You mentioned BYU there. Uh, you know, another guy I noticed you had in your top one hundred, Gideon George. Obviously, a, a really cool story. Um, a guy that CSU could have had, you know, Ram fans don't necessarily know that, but that was a guy the, the CSU staff kind of passed on. And I think he, uh, I think he could help this Rams team quite a bit because he's oh, yeah. kind of that, that what they're missing. Yeah, he's, he's a really good player, a great story, like you said. And what Mike Brown had to say, he was, uh, as George was trying out for the Nigerian Olympic team, kind of just spoke a lot to me, like saying, hey, th- he was also speaking about a Worth Alatiche from Oregon State. But he was saying that both those guys are NBA-sized wings. They defend, they play hard. And I think George has a lot of untapped potential scoring-wise. He just didn't shoot the ball as well as he could have last season. But he's a guy that's going to defend all five positions. He's super long. I think he has like a seven, one wingspan. He's athletic. And last year when St. Mary's played BYU, Tommy Cousy was killing them. I mean, he's not very athletic, but he's going to make plays. And once they put Gideon George on him, BYU won that game from there. So I think he's one of the best defenders in all of mid-major basketball. And I think there's definitely potential for that offensive production to improve. I'm excited to see how that BYU team turns out because I think they're going to be a thorn in the side for just about everyone. They they added Seneca Knight, didn't they? Yeah, they added Seneca Knight to fill out their final scholarship. You know, they could have uh, – they were in the mix for some some big men for sure. They lose Matt Harms, and they have a few big men like Richard Harward and uh, – Another name I'm blanking on, Gavin Baxter. So those, those are guys that aren't shot blockers, and Baxter's dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career. So they don't really have a shot blocker that was of Matt Harms' level. But I think Foose Traore, who's a pretty underrated recruit, he's like 6'8", 230. I think he's going to end up being the best uh, five-man on that team by the end of the season. So he's definitely a freshman to watch out for. But I love what Mark Pope is doing there. You have Alex Barcelo, who's going to be a really good player. You had Seneca Knight, who can come off the bench and be a really good player. You have a lot of depth shooting-wise with Spencer Johnson and Trevin Nell. Caleb Lohner is a good player. And then you had a guy like Tejon Lucas from Milwaukee, who was a really valuable point guard, to step in and replace Brandon Averett, who decided to leave for the professional ranks. So I think BYU is going to be a you know, potential top 25 team most of the season. I think they're in for a really good year. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wrap it up here because I could I could sit here and listen to you talk college basketball all day. <laughs> I, I gotta ask you how how hard was it for you to rank Chet Holmgren above uh, Aismas? Just given you know Aismas, you know being like the nation's leading scorer, he's coming off mm-hmm. of a massive NCAA tournament run. 
And then, you know, Holmgren, he's, he's extremely hyped. He's going to be incredible, but he hasn't actually, you know, stepped on the court yet. Yeah. I, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for that 20, uh, 2021, 2020, 2021 Oral Roberts team. So it was definitely tough, I guess, but how I looked at it is Holmgren could be a first team All-American and I think he has a very good chance to do that. It doesn't matter what A. Smith does. He's not going to be a first-team All-American. So that's kind of how I looked at that. I think that's fair. Do you see the possibility of a Grant Sherfield, of a David Roddy, of an Isaiah Stevens, of any of these guys being an All-American in the next year or two? I think they could. I don't know about first-team because they have to have a San Diego State uh, type of season from a few years ago. That's what has to happen. I mean – uh, but I think one of them or multiple of them could wind up at least as an honorable mention at some point for sure. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been a blast. I love getting your perspective. Love reading your work. Really looking forward to the season. Uh, you know, tell the people where can they follow you on Twitter? You know, where can they, they find all of your uh, awesome stuff? I know you're, you do a lot of different stuff, but making the madness, that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, yeah, I had a, tell my dogs to stop barking. But yeah, you could follow me on uh, Twitter at Sean02MTM and makingthemadness.com. That's just what you got to look out for. And a lot's coming in the future weeks and months for sure. And then the last thing I want to ask you just real quick, were you surprised to see, you know, the, the awesome reaction that you got? I mean, this, this top 100 list, it blew up. You had team accounts tweeting it out. I mean, CSU, I saw made a graphic, you know, yeah, with your work. Crazy. I mean, that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I, I didn't expect that type of reception from it, but I definitely uh, am appreciative of all the team accounts and everyone that tweeted it out. Definitely means a lot. All right, man. We do great work. I hope you'd be willing to come on the podcast again in the future, and I'm looking Absolutely. forward to following you throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me again, Justin. Have a good one. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water together, make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be.